Welcome to Open. Open hearts, open minds, open conversations. Hi, this is Shannon Lassen. This is Tyler Murphy. This is Nancy Osterberg. This is Tony Finolio. This is May Ping Patrick. And I am Monica Colbert. Thank you for joining us. This podcast does not reflect viewpoints of any organization. The ideas, viewpoints, and opinions that you'll hear on this podcast are simply to start and promote open conversation amongst peers that are passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion. All voices and views expressed on this podcast are the individual's own and do not represent any entity whatsoever in which they have been or currently or will be affiliated with in the future. The topics that are being talked about on the podcast stem from things that we are experiencing in our everyday lives and how they impact us as individuals. As DEI advocates, we are often presented with comments, questions, and concerns from our peers. This podcast serves as a platform to talk through those situations with peers and gain more perspective and clarity. Welcome back. Today, we're going to talk to you about microaggression, and then we're going to have a real conversation about things that we've experienced in the workplace. So diversity is the representation of all of our varied identities and differences. Some examples of this are race, ethnicity, gender, disability, sexual orientation, gender identity, national origin, tribe, caste, socioeconomic status, thinking and communication styles, etc., collectively and as individuals. It's pretty easy to cite the obvious microaggressions you know, unfortunate race-based slurs, threats, hostility, harassment, but there's more subtle and insidious forms of stereotyping that can be hard to pin down, thus called the microaggression. Microaggressions are brief and commonplace verbal, behavioral, or environmental indignities. They can be intentional or unintentional, and sometimes they can even be well-meaning, but they communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative racial messages or assumptions to the receiver. So addressing microaggressions is a little bit more of an art than a science. It creates a situation where you have to be able to be conscious in this communication. Possibly it could have been a surface level compliment. Possibly it could have been an unconscious communication, but addressing this message requires what's known as a micro intervention. Sometimes you need to underline that message and sometimes you need to make the invisible visible. A recent article by Stephanie Sarkis mentioned that microaggressions come in three forms, micro assaults, micro insults, and micro invalidations. Tyler, can you talk to us a little bit about these in your experience? Definitely. Micro assaults happen when a person purposely behaves or speaks in a racist way or uses racist symbols. An example of this would be a coworker makes a racist joke is aware that the joke is racist, but yet claims that the joke was harmless. Micro-invalidations are forms of communications that attempt to neglect, exclude, or ignore a person based on his or her race. People give out micro-invalidations usually deny that they are being racist. For example, a coworker may ask another coworker where he or she is from. 
something that they wouldn't ask of another co-worker who is of the same nationality or ethnic background as them. This implying that you really don't belong here. Micro insults are verbal and nonverbal behaviors that demean a person's race and expresses rudeness and insensitivity. People that use micro insults can either be aware or unaware that they are actually being racist. An example of this would be a coworker asking a coworker who doesn't look like them how did he or she get the job. If this implies that they didn't obtain the job on their own merits. I know a very commonplace racial microaggression that I've received in the workplace is you don't act like a normal black person <laughs> or why do you sound so white? And over my career, it's been a little difficult for me as a Black woman to answer back to these so-called questions, right? Or comment statements, if, if you will. And maybe that wasn't their intention to be rude. And maybe they weren't trying to influence you know, a negative interaction. However, it's insulting. And I just wanted to talk through a little bit of some microaggressions that you all have heard in your careers and how you've responded to those. Well, you know, I wish I could say that I'd never faced a microaggression, whether, you know, personally or professionally, but, you know, that's not the case, unfortunately. And Shannon, just, you know, like, like what you've encountered in the past, I've, I've certainly encountered that. And oftentimes, I, you know, for me, at least my experience has been, it's actually something well meant, or they're well meaning in their intent, right. but it's offensive as all get out. The first thing that comes to mind is when somebody told me they were shocked when they found out I was gay and said, oh, I never would have known you were gay. You act so straight. Go, oh, oh okay. well, tell me what that means. I've certainly heard, well, who's the wife in the relationship? Who's the girl in the relationship? Or in a work environment, I've heard, you know, well, you're gay. You don't have any kids, so you can fill in the blank. You can travel, you can stay late, you can handle more work, you can do X, Y, and Z because you have no kids. Now, granted, I don't have kids, but that doesn't, I mean, that struck me. Why, why would that be the case? Why is that okay for you to just assume that I don't have kids because I'm gay? I mean, Monica, help me out here. I am gay <laughs> and a breeder. So uh, case in point, you can't assume that. <laughs> great, great. Oh, man. <laughs> a breeder. Wow. This is uncut. I love it. <laughs> Right. Uh, sorry, I, you are I actually was drinking and I started laughing. <laughs> Excellent point. I think about the things that people would say to me while I was pregnant or after I had my son that I know my husband at the time, now my ex-husband, did not hear um, from, from people, you know, at his work or just, you know, in his everyday life. Um, as there would be, you know, I go to a happy hour when my son, you know, was younger and I'd get questions like, oh, where's, where's your son? Who's he with? Like those kind of things that are just like, he's with his dad, obviously. And I know that my ex-husband, he didn't hear things like that. And, you know, they, they don't seem as extreme as some other aggressions, but to hear those kind of things, you have to kind of fight back at people who are saying those kind of things. Again, maybe not initially, um, but it, it, those sort of things just, you know, really bothered me. Or if I was traveling for work, you know, who's going to watch your son while you're traveling for work? It's like, he has another parent. So 
you know, a big thing about microaggressions that I've learned in my personal research is, is intent versus impact, right? So most times we judge ourselves on our intent, right? We know, or at least we think we know what our intent was, right? We, we want to be well-meaning, you know, we're making a comment, suggestion, question, but we judge others on their impact, right? So, you know, what is the message here? You know, what, 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 how do you feel from that message, you know, that someone else said? I think one of the biggest microaggressions that I face is, is it okay to call you Black? Should we call you African-American? Like, what is the proper term that we should say when addressing you if we're not calling you by your name? First off, my name is perfectly fine. You know, my mother gave it to me for a reason. Secondly, uh, being black is something that I'm proud of. So I'm, I, I'm more than okay with you saying that I'm a black man. And to me, like being African American is being African without the memories and American without the privileges. So it's like wow. I fit all of those categories, and wow. either one is fine with me. But you know, you you shouldn't have to ask me what you should call me. That was Tyler. big, Tyler. That was huge. Amazing points there. No, I think. That brings up one that is common, not necessarily against me, but that I hear quite a bit in just our day-to-day conversations. It is white privilege that when people are talking, they'll say, oh, this person, that person, when talking about a white person, but then the moment it's not, it's like, oh, well, that black guy Definitely. or the Asian lady. And it's like, well, you didn't say it was a white person earlier why are you calling out their race now mm-hmm. you know that's interesting monica because i've, I've certainly gotten that too when in talking about candidates that we have have interviewed and this happened recently for that matter and i don't think necessarily the hiring manager realized in the moment what they had said which was oh we're interviewing all these candidates and commenting on them and said then was comparing them to literally regular white candidates and I had to stop and say, what do you mean by regular white candidates? Like, you know, unpack that one for me real quick. Let's have that conversation. And, and at least the person was receptive to having that conversation and said, oh, I, I misspoke. Well, that's, you know, a, a default, maybe defensive kind of response that, that I've certainly encountered in the past with microaggressions when you're confronting that. But, you know, it, it speaks to exactly what you're talking about, is that propensity to identify based on racial ethnicity if that candidate or if that person isn't white and how that can permeate all different levels for me of the hiring process and and in general so it's something to always be cognizant of that's that's what i have noticed more in conversations at work where it's comments made where somebody might allude or maybe not say directly a person's race or name but maybe make more of an indirect comment. Um, And then you have to sit there and decide, are you in the in-group or in the no, or, you know, what do you say? Are you a part of that? Or, or do you sit back? But you, you sort of can tell by people's tone what they're alluding to. So you think Mayping or those more, they don't even understand what they said or what the intent was and they need education on that. I think a little bit of both it could be. Sometimes there really is just a breakdown in communication. You know, sometimes you need to educate the perpetrator, you know, for lack of a better term. Sometimes you need to shift that focus of what the person intended to be that impact, right? Sometimes you have to point it out. 
and then possibly, you know, they may come back and say, that wasn't my intention. You know, why are you so sensitive? But going back to that intent and impact, you can't really focus on the intention. You have to focus on the impact. You know, you have to focus on this is how I felt from that. This is how I took that, right? It's very interesting because sometimes people who possibly had well-meaning positive intent can't really understand what happened and how they might have caused that pain. So it's really important when you're addressing a microaggression to focus on that impact and try to explain to them and point that out to them by means of self-reflection and education. So I read a book this summer uh, called Witnessing Whiteness. I think that was a really important read for me and, and, you know, similar books of that nature for, you know, white people in the workplace to understand, um, you know, their whiteness and where these things are coming from. And it talks a lot about being an upstander um, versus a bystander um, or a victim or perpetrator. So there's, you know, those different levels um, when these microaggressions take place. I recently read A White Fragility. I found it very helpful. The author is pretty, pretty direct and gives a lot of good insight and examples as to why even talking about racism is such a hard topic for white America. This is a great conversation. And one other thing I wanted to mention is that I'm also trying to branch out more and read books by more diverse authors, you know, people of different backgrounds and, and races. And, and I have found that helpful. I absolutely agree with that, Mayping. You know, anything like that from an author who might be different from what you would normally read or from your comfort zone. I think reading, reading books from an author who necessarily doesn't identify with you at all is how you gain that perspective. So when you are in these situations, whether it's your day-to-day uh, -day life, being at work or whatever the case may be, that allows you that perspective to handle situations with an open heart. I think sometimes when people hear, like I explained earlier, very commonplace things, you know, unfortunately, it's, sometimes it's hard to decipher whether that's a microaggression or not. And even, you know, taking it a step further and what about criminality, you know, like a person of color being followed around a store or locking your car door when you see a group of people of color. And that message is that you can't be trusted or that you're dangerous, right? And, and, and so on and so forth. You know, we can go into cultural values. Uh, we can go into the myth of meritocracy. You know, and some of those examples would be, you know, with cultural values, you know, asking a person of color to be less animated or too loud. And, you know, the message there is, you know, trying to make someone assimilate to a dominant culture or with meritocracy, you know, telling someone, hey, my great great grandfather was an immigrant. He worked hard and made something of himself. And that message can really be, you know, oh, well, whatever, the playing field is even. So any problem you encounter is because of, of, of you. Yeah, you know, Shannon, I, um, <clears throat> excuse me, this is Tony again. Uh, you started off speaking about criminality. And again, just from a, a work perspective, 
very early on in my recruiting career, uh, I attended, you know, some job fairs and always loved that. You know, you get the opportunity to meet so many different types of people, different types of candidates with all different backgrounds. And in, in every conversation, I always asked each candidate or each person I was talking to, well, tell me a little bit about your background. What's in your background? Tell me more about your background. And I had a gentleman walk up and we were talking. I said, okay, well, tell me what's in your background. What do you have in your background? And I saw him instantly deflate and kind of look at me like, I can't believe that's what you're going to first. And he automatically started disclosing a criminal background. And I I stopped and I said, whoa, whoa, no, I'm sorry. I'm talking about your work background. And he changed entirely. And we, we laughed it off because... I'm not concerned with that. I'm concerned with what you bring to the job. Are you capable of performing and the role that we have we're discussing, but it hit me in the face. I mean, it smacked me so hard that he's so accustomed to being questioned about his background that that's where he goes to automatically, not his work experience, but a criminal background. And, and it changed the conversations I had, not only with candidates, but also with my team at the time, as we approached people to have those conversations, because instantly I had, committed a microaggression in his mind and and thankfully we were able to talk through that but that was the the first time in my recruiting career where I had encountered that and it has stuck with me ever since I would say for myself um you know I mainly have grown up um you know predominantly white community but being of a mixed race typically if I um my, if my viewpoints were similar to my peers or people I was with, there were really never issues. But if I branched out and had a different viewpoint or, or approached an issue or um, talked about race, a lot of times a comment I would get back is, well, we don't, you know, we see you as white. We don't see you mm. as someone of color. I have worked in retail before and a lot of my supervisors have been white and it's often puts me in a weird position to where I have to be an upstander simply because like some black people come into the store and they may like have on a hoodie or something and my manager's instantly like he's talking over the earpieces in our ear and saying like hey watch them you know they just came into the store don't know what they're in here for x y and z and like that puts me in a weird place because growing up in a black community there's nothing wrong with them but he is instantly in fear just because they may have on a hoodie or they may be sagging so it was a point in time where i had to have a conversation with my manager just let him know like that's not okay like you shouldn't judge people by you know how they look and then another microaggression that came from that situation was he was saying that you know he doesn't see color and he looks at everyone the same to me that's a microaggression within itself because then you're saying that you're not acknowledging me as a black person so i think that microaggressions can come from any place but just being able to identify and then communicate what that microaggression is it can go a long way in pushing forward relationships and tyler let me ask something about that i mean did you have a a good relationship with your manager to where you felt comfortable enough to walk up or was that difficult for you to mention something to that manager and say, hey, we need to have a conversation because, again, that's a, a, a major um, micro. It was, I saw this particular manager I had known for some time. Whenever it originally happened, I wanted to reflect on it. So I took some time to myself to make sure that I wasn't like overreacting, you know, coming from a biased standpoint. But then the next time that I seen him, 
and it was still like weighing on me, I decided to have that conversation with him. Great point. You don't always have to respond right away. There's all, you know, great impact in trying to disarm that microaggression right then and there. But sometimes steering the conversation away isn't that easy, you know, and sometimes you really need to self-reflect from, you know, a problematic remark. And maybe you can have a later conversation with that person about why that comment or joke or question was inappropriate. Well, and especially in a situation where the, you know, what you just described, Tyler, I mean, you're a black man and your manager is talking about, you know, black, a group of black men and women who walked into the store. So not only is it a microaggression against them, but it's a microaggression against you, which you have to take time to process and, and be, like you said, be able to respond to in, in an appropriate way, in a constructive way, which is a challenge in and of itself. And, and let's be honest, some, it's unfair, you know, that you have to kind of step back and say, okay, I want to make sure I don't come across too angry, too emotional, too passionate, you know, fill in the blank. And again, not to sound like a broken record, but underscores how important it is to do exactly that. Whether it's immediate or after the fact, you did what was necessary. And that's important. I would say in the past, I have definitely just been, you know, a bystander. I might hear somebody say something um, to somebody else in the office and still take note of it because I've... um, you know, educated myself on that. And I know that's um, not an appropriate thing to say, but in the past thought, uh, well, you know, I note that they maybe didn't mean that and it's not my place to say anything. Um, And sometimes it's not my place to say anything. Right. Um, But if there is a situation where maybe I can talk to this person who is my white peer and explain the situation you know, maybe they'll even understand it better um, if I explain why what they said um, might have hurt somebody, um, whether that person approached me about it or not. I think that's really important is just to make sure that um, that everybody is is educated on on these type of things that they might not even realize they're doing. Listening to the conversation and the different microaggressions and the things that, you know, hear said without maybe realizing what's truly being said, it reminds me of a quote, and it's escaping me who said it, but they said, it's not your first thought that you're responsible for. It's your second thought and your first action. So for me... I grew up in a small town that was 99.9% white and 100% straight appearing. So there was a lot of things that I picked up as a child, like, oh, there's a black person walking down the street, lock your doors. But as I've grown up, I have to stop and process if there are thoughts like that, like, well, why did I think that? That's not any different than if it was a white person walking down like so Tyler I think having that conversation with your supervisor in that that instance was just amazing that you were able to do that and now that will be their second thought from then on you know you are helping correct those patterns that have been ingrained in their brain to make new patterns for better behavior going forward. I couldn't agree more, Monica. Along those lines, I, I love the quote that you put out there, Monica. I wish I could attribute that to someone too. I, I've kind of attached myself to something similar to that, which is, hey, your first thought is what society has conditioned you to think, but that second thought defines who you are. That second thought gives you the opportunity to really define who you are. 
and, and along the same lines. I just had to throw that out there because I, I loved that point, Monica. Tony, you might be reading my mind because that's the exact quote I was thinking of when Monica read that quote, thinking about a lot of internalized thoughts that we possibly picked up during childhood, during adolescence, when you go to school, when you're around people at work, you know, sometimes you have that first, you know, unfortunate, genuine thought, because that's relatable to everyone. Everyone has an inherent bias and has picked something up along the way. But it's that second thought, it's that first action that really takes a conscious effort to unlearn. Anyone have any other thoughts? These microaggressions that I'm hearing about are masked as compliments. So, you know, the, the person, whether intentionally or unintentionally, think, you know, they think they're complimenting you by saying that um, because of the, you know, their, their worldview. Um, and so those are the kind of things that, yeah, we need to just keep calling out so people understand, like, that's the way you're talking to me is not a compliment. My last thought would be wherever there are microaggressions, like definitely take your time and choose the best approach for your situation. But don't be afraid to shake some trees and cause discomfort because where there is discomfort, there is an opportunity for growth. So true. I mean, such a nugget right there. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing your stories, for sharing your personal narratives. And thank you all to the listeners. Today, we talked about microaggressions, what they are, how to reframe the narrative, how to spot them, focusing on that impact, not the intent. Thanks for listening. To open, open hearts, open minds, open conversations.